welcome everybody once again to Church Online. Welcome, Victory Family. So excited you're joining us. Can I just say we miss you? Uh, we just miss you so much, but we're so thankful for uh, this online broadcast and a chance that we can connect together as a church family digitally, but still looking forward to the day that we can meet again here at the church, man, and just have our church family together again. But until then, we're going to take advantage of every avenue uh, that we have to join together online uh, and continue to pray and seek God's face for each and every one of you, for your family, for your kids. Just continue to pray over you. Uh, for that. But I want to just welcome you again to Church Online. Go ahead and grab out your Bibles and notepads if you haven't done it already yet. Now is a great time to download the Victory Church app. Uh, if you'd like to, there's a place you can click on today's message, uh, get a fill-in-the-blank version of the notes. We still take notes here at Victory because we believe God still speaks to us. Even in a time when we're separated like this, even in a time when we have to meet online, God is still going to speak to us. And so we still jot some things down that we can reference in our spiritual journey. So two weeks ago, Palm Sunday, uh, we ended with this thought from John chapter 3, and I want to continue along this same train of thought today, all right? This morning, if you would allow me, we're going to kind of flesh out this thought a little bit more, but we ended with this thought from John three seventeen that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And I ended with this point, that Jesus did not come to make you guilty, he came to set you free. He came to set you free, to change the trajectory of your life. And we took a little bit of a different angle toward Palm Sunday and the week leading to Easter and Easter as well. And that is we talked about Judas and Peter and how we all have betrayed the Lord and we all are faced with two decisions or a decision with two options to it. That we can be like Judas and turn to religion and become full of shame and guilt and feel like there's no hope for us. And Judas ended up taking his life because of it. But Peter found forgiveness in Jesus. And he turned to that relationship in Christ. And so today I want to continue on with the story of Peter because I feel like on Palm Sunday we kind of skipped to the end. We skipped to Peter is restored and Peter is redeemed and Peter is a pillar of the church. But I want to fill out the rest of the story, how Peter got from point A to point B, how he went from betrayal to restored. Because I believe it still is a process, and that's encouraging to me to know that even though Peter turned the right direction, it was still a process in his life. And I know that for all of us, it's still a process in the way that we serve the Lord. This life that we live in Christ and how we approach our relationship is so important, and a lot of times we get it wrong. A lot of times we approach that relationship in the wrong way. So today we're going to study Peter, and this time we're going to pull in John, uh, and we're going to study Peter and John and contrast the two. John is also a disciple in the Gospels. He's one of the inner circle, right? One of the three that followed Jesus, Peter, James, and John. One of the three who had different experiences from the rest of the disciples. But Peter and John, though they were both very, very close to each other and very, very close to Jesus, had different approaches to their relationship to Jesus, different approaches in how do I get close to God. Jot it down if you're taking notes. Peter's foundation for his relationship was I love Jesus. But John's approach to his relationship was Jesus loves me. And those sound very similar, but they could not be further apart. Peter's revelation was all about his own efforts. I love Jesus, all about how hard he tried, his personal declaration. And as we study Peter's life today, you're going to see he make a lot of bold statements, a lot of strong commitments but the problem with the I love Jesus crowd is there's a lot of overpromising and underperforming. There's a lot of based on my efforts because it's always based on our own works. And really you can tie all of this back to the Garden of Eden where there were two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And those exist today. Do I get close to God by following the rules? Do I get close to God by my own effort? That's I love Jesus. Or do I get close to God because of the sacrifice of Jesus that he made for us, that he died on the cross? That's Jesus loves me. 
And John had this revelation. He writes about it in the first chapter of his book, chapter 1, verse 17. He says, for the law was given through Moses. So this is the works. These are the things that you can do. These are the, the law and the rules set out to get close to God. That was the Old Testament. But God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. And that was John's revelation, that Jesus didn't come so we could be condemned and so that we could try to follow a bunch of rules to get close. Jesus came to give us a relationship with God. He came to set us free. And that was John's revelation, that God loved us so much that he made the first move towards us. And if we can grasp the comprehension of that, this will revolutionize the way that you serve the Lord. This will change the way that you pray. It will change the way that you live your life. In fact, there are five different times in John's gospel that he refers to himself. And we're going to look at those. We won't look at all five, but I want to give you three times. I want to give you three times that will change the way that you approach God. That will change the way that you live your Christian life. Change the way that you work out your salvation. Change the way that you approach God. If you can get this into your heart that Jesus loves me. And then I'm going to talk about how we can get this into our lives. How we can start to live it out today. We'll go to John 13. It's the first time he references himself in his book. And this is how we know that he had this revelation. He starts it out. The disciple that Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Now, here's the problem. He is talking about himself. So this is John talking about himself in the third person. And I just want to give you a little social uh, wisdom, a little lesson today. Talking about yourself in the third person is weird, all right? It is just, it's just a strange thing to do when you're in a social setting, right? Jimmy, Jimmy likes Elaine, right? Jimmy's going to get you, Kramer. It's just a weird thing to do. And Ben thinks it's weird to talk about yourself in the third person, all right? It's just, it's just a strange thing. If you do it, but John is weird here. John is weird. But John refers to himself in the third person as the disciple whom Jesus loves because that's how he saw himself he knew that he was loved that's his revelation now to give you context for what's happening this is the point in the story where Jesus has just said that one of you is going to betray me one of you is going to give me up to die and so they're at the last supper and Jesus is predicting who's going to betray him and so they're kind of all upset about this they're upset and so John is sitting right next to Jesus but Simon Peter motions to him and he says hey John ask him ask him who it is who's he talking about So that disciple, John, leaned over to Jesus and said, Lord, who is it? And the first thing I want you to see in how this impacts our relationship, our view of God, how it impacts when you get this revelation that Jesus loves me, the first thing that it does is it gives you security. It makes you secure. Jot it down if you're taking notes. It makes you secure. Too many people are trying to get close to God by works or by religion or by following the rules. And what that does is it creates an incredible amount of insecurity in your relationship with God. When you try to get close to God by following the rules, it creates incredible amounts of insecurity. Even Peter, the guy who saw all of these things happen, all these miracles, all these things, even Peter saw all these things with Jesus, was too insecure to ask him, hey, bro, who's going to deny you? Who, who's going to do that? Who's going to betray you before, before Bob? Who's gonna, he probably thought it was him. He probably was trying to figure out, okay, who's it going to be? He wasn't sure. He didn't know where he stood. So confident John, who knew where he stood, who knew that Jesus loved him, had the great relationship so he could ask, Lord, who is it? And so many of us today, we approach God in that way sometimes without even realizing it, like we're a little bit insecure in our relationship with God because it's based on our own works instead of the sacrifice of Jesus. We're insecure. It's all kind of based on our own efforts. Am I doing a good enough job? Am I, am I good enough in this week? Does God love me? Did I do a good enough number of things? Did I do too many wrong things? How did I do? What's my scorecard? Am I acceptable to God? 
That's how we approach God so many times. Did I go to the right places? Did I, did I look at the right things? Did I, did I say the wrong things? Did, how many curse words did I say last week? How many can I sing the worship songs this Sunday morning and not feel like a hypocrite? We keep score all the time. And to be honest, a lot of us have lived a great portion of our Christian life this way. We've, we've always kept score on ourselves. We have this scorecard, and this was this fear. If you've ever been in a hellfire and brimstone message, you've ever been in a turn or burn type of message, you've experienced that, that fear. You know, you didn't, you didn't really care so much about heaven. You just didn't want to burn for all eternity. You just, you know, you were, had a little bit of fear about the fire. And like, I don't know, even as a young child, I was just like, every single time there was a turn or burn, I'm just like, yeah, me, I'll get saved again. Like, I'm just, I'm just scared of, I don't really care so much about heaven, but man, I don't want to go to hell. Like, I, I I don't want to burn. That sounds awful for all eternity. That sounds terrible. Yeah, I'll, I'll get saved a million times. You can baptize me a hundred times. Like, I don't, I just want to be sure. And it just wasn't sure. And that insecurity, that nervous tension that maybe I need to make the decision again. Maybe I need to, I've made too many mistakes. And you know, it's funny how the church goes through different seasons. Because you remember in the late 90s and early 2000s, there was this season where the Left Behind books had just come out. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but Left Behind, a series of books, and then they made these really badly made films, right? And this, this whole idea, and there was just this whole, this whole character of it. And then they, they would show like, like a father you know, shaving at the sink, and then it would just be the razor in the sink like he'd been taken, right? Or they'd show uh, like airplanes crashing and all these things, like people just disappearing. And there was this fear that comes. As a child, I would watch those. Like they would show them in kids' church. I mean, no, it's good we have better programming for your children nowadays, all right? It's good. But back then, it was just this scary thing like you're watching all these things and then you see like the pile of clothes and the people have left and you've been left behind right there's no time to change your mind the song would just be sung just to scare everybody it was this this just fear you know like you didn't make it and so I'd be out like playing in the yard and you'd come back inside like hey mom where you at mom mom and you're like i've been left i know it and it's like that's just it that's tribulation for you like it's just gonna it's gonna happen there was this fear this insecurity and we laugh it's funny now but there's this insecurity some of us are still doing that to this day like we're deciding like should i tune into church because i don't know where i stand with god or like should i even pray should i even read my bible did i how many bad things did i do can god still love me can i really feel that would i allow myself to be accepted and loved by Jesus based on my performance. And so here's the test I want to give you today. If this is a way you can tell if you're secure in your relationship, when you go through trouble, when you fail, do you run from Jesus or to Jesus? When you fail, do you run from him or do you run to him? The Bible says it this way in Hebrews chapter 4. It says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And there we will receive his mercy and will find grace to help us. And watch this, when we need it the most. Now, let me help you understand this verse. Mercy, the easiest definition of mercy, is not getting what we deserve. And then the best definition for grace is getting what we don't deserve. And so Jesus at the cross paid the price for our sins. He gave himself to pay the price we could never pay. That's mercy. And then the power of God that exists in our lives, the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to get back up, that enables us to live this life for Christ, that's grace. That's what we don't deserve. And he gives us those gifts. And those are yours, the Bible says, in God's presence. And they're there, watch this, when we need them the most. Now, I would submit to you that you need mercy and you need grace the most, forgiveness for what you've done wrong, the ability to get it right the next time. You need it the most when you are at your worst. You need that the most. The times we need God the most is when we are failing the greatest. And the Bible says in that moment, not only should you run to God, you should go with boldness to his presence. 
That in that moment when you are at your worst, you can still go, think about that. That is an incredible thought. That when we are at our worst moments, we can come with confidence knowing God won't reject us. Knowing that he loves us. That we're secure in our relationship because Jesus loves me. A religious view says, well, I don't know if I'm going to tune into church. I didn't do good enough things. I don't know if I can worship today. I don't know if God will love me. I don't know if I should pray. We run from him because we think that he's not going to accept us. So many times when we get off, we run from God. We run from his presence because we think there's no way that he could love us. And I want you to know today that you don't have to get it together to get to God. You need to get to God to get it together. And when you don't have it together, you run to God to find mercy and grace for when you need it the most. Now, that is good preaching. I'm going to just pretend you said amen in your living room right now, all right? Some of you stuck your head back in from the kitchen like he's shouting about something. What's he shouting about? It must be something important. Lord, end this quarantine. Christianity is not about earning God's approval. It's about earning. It's not about earning God's approval. It's about Jesus' sacrifice. It's about his sacrifice, security, knowing that Jesus died for me. He loved me so much that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the security that comes from knowing God loves you, that he loves you. There's nothing that you can ever do that will separate you from the love of God. There's nothing in this world, nothing in this life that ever pull you away from the love of God that could ever stop God from loving you. God does not love us because we are good. He loves us because he is good. He loves us because he is good. He made a decision to love us. Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. And so when we blow it the most is when we need him the most. It's when we need to run to him the most. It's when we come in confidence into the presence of God in security, knowing that God loves me. But then we jump over to Mark chapter 14 after the dinner, after this way. They're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus tells his disciples, all of you will desert me. That means all of you, everybody. The Greek word for all there means all, all right? It means everybody will desert me. For the scripture says God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So he says everybody. But then Peter in verse 29, he says, after I'm raised, I'll go ahead to Galilee. Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, Lord, even if all these other people around here desert you, I never will. You see that self-righteous, that self-reliant confidence of I am better than everybody else. That's that religious spirit that says, not me, Lord. I don't care if they all desert you, not me, Lord. I would never know. I'm committed, Lord. I'm in it. Like, I'm not just on the team. I'm on the dream team, right? I'm just in it to win it, Lord. Like, I serve at church, and I do all the good things, and I could never. I would never. So Peter's like, I won't betray you. But Jesus said everybody will. And, of course, Jesus was right. Before the end of the night, Peter denies him three times. And now we fast forward, though, to Jesus hanging on the cross. And must I remind you, everyone deserted Jesus, including John. And we don't know what John did. We know he ran in the garden. We know that they all left him. But at some point, John was absent during this because Jesus prophesied, all of you will desert me. And Jesus didn't make a habit of being wrong, all right? So all of them at some point deserted him. So now we go to the cross. They've all deserted. But John chapter 19, standing near the cross where Jesus' mother Mary, his mother's sister Mary, right? And Mary Magdalene, a lot of Marys. I don't know how he kept them straight. But when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside, watch this, the disciple that he loved, that's John talking about himself in the third person again. He said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his own home. Now check this out. All of the disciples deserted Jesus, including John. None of them were there when Jesus was in some of the worst moments of his life, at the trial, at the beating before Pilate. None of them were there for him. But at the foot of the cross, John, who had the revelation that Jesus loves me, is the only disciple who comes back. 
the only who disciple who returns, there's security in his relationship with Christ, made him, jot this down if you're taking notes, made him available. It made him available. And it seems simple, but it's very profound and significant for our own spiritual journeys. Because I would submit to you, it's my opinion, that Peter's greatest failure wasn't that he denied Jesus. Jesus prophesied that he would deny Jesus. No, Peter's greatest failure that day was he allowed the guilt and the shame that keep him, the guilt and the shame over denying Christ, keep him from being there for Jesus at the foot of the cross. That he's off somewhere feeling like he can't be forgiven. John also betrayed the Lord. John also ran in the garden. John also betrayed Jesus, but John was there. John came back. John was present. And I just want you to know today that you don't have to be qualified to do great things for God. You don't have to be a perfect person. You don't even have to have it all together. You just have to be available. You have to be available. So much of making a difference in this life is showing up in spite of our failures, just continuing to stay faithful, continuing to say, God, we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. We thank you that you pick us back up when we fall. God, I know that I don't have much, but what I have, I give you. Being able to say that to be available. I don't think Jesus looked around and was like, perfect, John is the one I wanted. I think Jesus looked around and was like, John, you're the only one here, buddy. Looks like you're in charge. Look like you're going to be in charge of this thing. Come on, can I tell you the story of the church isn't about a bunch of perfect and highly skilled people that God began to use in extraordinary ways. No, the story of the church is a bunch of broken and flawed people who just said, here am I. Lord, if you can use this, praise God, I'm going to give what I have. Because God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. He qualifies the one he calls. So too many people are sitting on the sidelines of life saying, if I could just get it together, if I could just make my life perfect, then I can serve Jesus. Too many people are sitting saying, well, if I could just get my life in order, well, then I could come and God could use me. And you're watching your life pass you by. God says, take your mess and let it be your message. Stop trying to get your life all perfect and trying to sit it all, all ordered up before you serve because what's going to happen is you're going to find yourself close to death and have never done anything for the Lord. You're going to find yourself at the end saying, well, if I had just had this season or if I had just had this opportunity or if I had just gotten everything straight, God wants to use us. God wants to make a difference with your life. And it's not about being perfect. It's about being available. It's about offering up, Lord, this is what I have. Use it. And God will qualify the called. Saying, God, I'll show up. God, I'll be there. God, I know I messed up, but I'm going to run to you. I'm going to still give it my best. And guess what? Those are the kind of people that God uses faithfulness. You don't have to be a perfect person to serve. You just have to be available. So many times we miss this because we think, well, I don't have it all together like Peter. I'm going to miss out because, hey, I denied the Lord, and so I'm going to miss out on being there at the foot of the cross. And John just said, you know what? I'm securing my relationship again, the disciple that Jesus loved. He said, I know I blew it, but I'm going to show up again. I'm going to be available. I'm going to say, here am I, God. Send me. Well, not only was Peter not there, Peter was heading in the wrong direction altogether. John chapter 21. So Jesus now, after the resurrection, he's appeared to them twice. He's appeared to the disciples and those that he had after him. He's appeared to them twice, and he's told them what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to go and preach the gospel. He tells them in that room the first time he appears, he says, now go and preach the gospel. But not Peter. Watch what Peter says in John chapter 21 after Jesus has prophesied about what they should do. Peter said, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. Now this would be more than just a pastime for Peter. This is Peter's career before he met Jesus. And so Peter is saying more than just I'm going to go have fun or I'm going to go do something in my thing. Peter said, I'm going to digress. I'm going back I'm going fishing. I'm going back to where I was. And then watch this. We'll come too. Six more of his disciples said, we'll come with you. So Peter got seven people to abandon their calling and go fishing. And go fishing with him. And they go out in the boat. 
And watch this, they were in the boat all night, but they caught nothing. Now, I would submit to you that if Jesus had not rescued the disciples from being fishermen, they would have starved to death. Like, I don't know how you can be this bad at your job. Every time we see the disciples in the New Testament, they catch nothing. And they were professional fishermen. Like, I don't know how you are this bad, but they were, all right? That's not the point. The point I'm trying to make is that Peter forgot who God called him to be. He forgot who God. Jesus had looked at Peter, and he had said, your name is Peter, and you are a rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But Peter forgot. He forgot. In the middle of our mess, sometimes we forget the anointing and the calling that God has for our lives. We forget who we are, and so we always digress. We forget who we are. When you forget where you're going, you go back to where you've been. When you forget who you, where you're going, you, forget, you go back to where you've been. So many times we forget what God has said. We forget about the anointing God has placed on our life. We forget the promises that he's made to us. And because of our own failures, we think, well, now I'm disqualified. We think, because I fell, now I'm disqualified for the promise that God has for me. And nothing could be further from the truth. But oftentimes, when we forget where we're going, we forget what God has promised, we go back to where we've been. And now we say, well, I'm just going to go back. And so many times for all of us in our spiritual journey, we come to a crossroads where we have to make the decision. And most of us, we come to that place and we think, you know what? I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to the drugs. I'm going to go back to the old friends. I'm going to go back to that old career, that old relationship that pressured me into doing things I knew I shouldn't do. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back. And we go back. And I'll just go back to those things because we choose predictable pain over the opportunity to be free. We go back to those things that are comfortable, pain over the potential of what God has for our lives. And that's what Peter did. Fishing was comfortable. Fishing was what he knew. Fishing was a step backwards in his life. And it happens to so many of us. So Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. Well, at dawn, watch this, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And so he calls out, fellows, have you caught any fish? And no, they replied. Now, I love this verse because Jesus knew that they hadn't caught any fish. It wasn't like he couldn't see into the boat. He knew what the circumstance was. He wasn't confused, but he had to get them to process it. He had to get them to realize they had caught nothing. And so no, they replied. And watch this. I want you to jot this down if you're taking notes because if you can't see yourself, you won't be able to see your Savior. If you can't see yourself, they couldn't see Jesus at this point. And that's a problem in our culture today. We've got so many people that can't see Jesus for who he is because they can't see themselves for who they are. We can't see themselves. Until we see ourselves as a sinner, we will never see our need for a Savior. Until we come to grips with the fact that we are sinners, we will never see our need for a Savior. So many people, you hear them say, well, I'm a good person. And I, I do enough good things, and I, I contribute to charity, and I serve, and I, I engage with my kids, and I think it's just about being good. No, the Bible says that there is no one good, not even one, that no one reaches up to it, that we all stink spiritually. We all stink at living this life spiritually without Jesus, and he just needed the disciples to process this so that they could see him. And then Jesus says to them in the next verse, Jesus says, throw your nets on the right hand of the boat, and you'll get some. And so they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And check this out. Then the disciple that Jesus loves, so we're back to John talking about himself, said to Peter, Peter, it's the Lord. Peter, it's the Lord. And now check this out. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, and he jumped in the water, and he headed to shore. Now I have a million problems with this verse. I just have, I have every, who strips to fish? And then who dresses to swim? Like, 
Peter's just making all these wrong choices here, all right? He's just making a bunch of different wrong choices. Now, I'm not a big fisherman, but if this quarantine ever ends and you and I go fishing, we, we ain't doing this, all right? We're not doing... That's also not the point. That's not the point. The thing that's amazing here is John is the only one with the perception to see Jesus. John's the only one who sees what Jesus is doing, remembers that Jesus had done this before, remembers he has that relationship with him. You see, Peter, in his perspective, like any good religious person, he doesn't know what God is doing. He doesn't know what God is up to. He's blind to the move of God in his life. He has to have somebody else tell him what's happening. But as soon as he catches scent of what God is doing, as, as soon as he catches the scent that this might be something that God is in, he makes the whole thing about himself. He jumps in the water and he swims for shore. He puts on his tunic because Peter has to be the one who gets wet. Peter has to be the one who swims to shore. It has to be all about him. That's what religion does. Look at me. Look how hard I'm trying. Look how spiritual I am. Lord, look, I've got to be first. I've got to be the first one to shore. Look at the, the sacrifices that I'm making. And in the midst of all of that, we miss Jesus entirely. In the midst of all of that, because it's all about my efforts and how hard I'm trying. Not John. John was spiritually, jot it down if you're taking notes, perceptive. It was perceptive. John was perceptive. It's a gift you're going to have to have as you say, you know what, God, I know that I failed. But I got back up again. I know, Lord, that you can use me. I know I'm flawed, but praise God, I know I'm not where I used to be. I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be, and that's still a process, but praise God, you can still use me, so I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to stay available. And then you have to have perceptive, perception to see what God is doing in your life. You have to have perception to see the move of God. Religion has no ability to see the move of the Spirit. Religion is just the rules that we've set out to try to get closer to God. It doesn't see the move of God. And when you're following the rules and you're always keeping score, you are so consumed with all of that stuff that you'll never see the subtleties of God working his plan out in your life. That God has an amazing plan for you, but you miss all of that when you're so focused on the rules and trying to get close to God by your own efforts. We miss so many God moments, so many appointments, so many chances to be used because we're blind to the move of God in our lives. And I want this for you. I'm telling you, this will change the way that you serve the Lord if you can get it inside of you that God loves me. You stop making it about how hard you're trying. You start how good you're doing. You're keeping score because you need that security in your relationship with Christ. You need to have that security. You know why? Because you will fail. But the Bible says you'll get back up again and we can't do that without having security in our relationship with Christ. You never make a difference in your life if you wait until you're perfect. If you wait until everything is aligned, you'll never make a difference. If it's all about your effort and the rules, because he's not after behavior modification, he's after life transformation. He's after a change that comes from the inside out. God's not up in heaven thinking, if I could just modify their behavior enough, if they would just work harder. He's after life transformation. It's what Jesus died to give us. It happens from the inside out, and we have to settle that in our lives. It's what Jesus did with Peter. Here's the moment that we skipped to on Palm Sunday. Here's where we, where we jumped to two weeks ago. He takes him on a walk, and after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, a second time he asks him, do you love me? He's walking him back. And I don't know where you are today. I don't know how you feel, how you failed. But I want you to watch this story. Because this is what God is offering you. I don't know if you feel like you're too far from him. I don't know if you feel like you failed. I don't know if you feel like you pushed away everything to do with God because you feel like you're not worthy. But I want you to watch. Jesus begins to walk Peter back. And he wants to bring you back as well. 
He wants to bring you back from wherever you are. It's the second time, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And watch this a third time. Three times Peter denied him. And the third time Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter is hurt that Jesus asked him the third time. He's hurt in front of all the other disciples. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said again, then feed my sheep. And then watch this. He talks to Peter and he says, he tells Peter how he's going to die in the next verse. He says, when you grow old, someone will take you where you don't want to go. He basically signifies to Peter how he's going to die, the kind of death that he would die to glorify God. And then he told him again, the same words he told him when he first called him on that seashore. He said, follow me. He recalls Peter. Follow me. And if this were anyone else in existence, this would be a beautiful end to that story. But I remind you, this is Peter that we're talking about. And so Peter still doesn't quite get it. He still doesn't quite come to the place. Even though Jesus has led him through all these things and he's recalled him and he said, follow me. He doesn't quite get, the, he doesn't quite get what Jesus is trying to do. So verse 20, Peter, after that, turns around and saw behind them, watch this, the disciple that Jesus loved. So Captain Third Person is following one more time. The one who had leaned over to Jesus and in the next verse, he sees John behind them and Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? What about him? Peter asked that same question that we ask, especially when we're wrapped up in religion. What about them? Lord, what about them? Because some of us are following Jesus. We're in this thing, but so many times we'll look up, and when we're wrapped up in the rules of religion, we're wrapped up in keeping score of ourselves, we're always looking around about other people and saying, well, why don't they have to go through that? Well, Lord, what about them? You tell me how I'm going to die, but Lord, how, what about them? Do they have to suffer for Christ? Why, why don't I have that opportunity? Or Lord, why, why can't I be like them? Or why didn't you bless me the way that you blessed them? Or Lord, why do I have to walk through this set of circumstances, but they don't have to? And when we're wrapped up in religion and the rules, so many times we'll get our eyes on other people and we'll start to compare. When we keep a scorecard of ourselves, we'll start to look at other people and think, well, Lord, why don't they have to suffer what you're making me suffer? Well, Lord, why don't they have to walk through those things? And Jesus turns to him. And Peter's asking these things. Lord, why this? Why about him? What about him? And Jesus replied to him, if I want him to remain alive until I return. And he asked him this question. That is asking us, what is that to you? In other words, Peter, what I'm doing in John's life has nothing to do with what I'm doing in your life. What I have planned for you and the calling I have for you doesn't, doesn't hinge on what I'm doing in John's life. He said, what is that to you? Peter, I'm working something out in your life. As for you, just do what John has been doing all this time. Just do what he has with his relationship, Peter. Follow me. And I want you to know, no matter how far you are today, God is recalling you. God is calling you to come back to follow him. But you can't get your eyes on everybody around you. You can't ask him, what about them? And what about their circumstances? And what about their opportunities? Jesus is telling you, what is that to you? You follow me. What they're doing and what I'm doing in their lives has nothing to do with what I'm doing in your life. You follow me. Because so many times we'll start to get our eyes on the others. And even sometimes we'll let it create pride in our heart. And we'll say, well, at least I'm not sinning like that person. At least I'm not living like that person. At least I'm not, I'm not acting like them. Stop looking at other people in the religiosity that we live in. Stop looking at other people. Stop comparing yourself. Jesus is saying, you follow me. Follow me. He said it's about relationship. It's about relationship. And I want you to get this today. If you need to get this in your heart, you have to do one simple thing. Jot it down as we close. You have to stop trying and start trusting. 
Stop trying to make it all about your own effort. Stop trying to make it all about your own work. Stop trying to make it all about your own religiosity and start trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus. Start trusting in the sacrifice of our Savior. And here on the seaside, Peter finally got it. Here on the seaside, Peter finally gets it in his life. He finally understands what Jesus is asking of him. Because two chapters later, in fact, in my Bible, you could just flip one page over. We find Peter preaching at Pentecost. Before thousands of people in Jerusalem with boldness, we find Peter standing before all of them. And in Acts chapter 2, he begins to preach the gospel and the salvation message. And I want you to hear what he says. I want you to hear what Peter says. This one that we followed his story for so many chapters now. How I tell you he preaches. He tells them this promise of salvation, the blood of Christ. This promise is for you. This is Peter and your children. And watch this. And for all who are far off. I think sometimes we read these verses and these sermons and we think, well, it's just another verse. We read them devoid of emotion. It's just another verse. It's just another sermon. It's just another thing that we read over. But you can hear Peter. You can hear Peter preaching, Peter who ran, Peter who betrayed, Peter who sinned, Peter who fell, and Peter who was restored. You can hear him preaching to the thousands saying, the promise is for all who are far off. Any one of you, Peter, who's saying, I know better than anybody else that anybody who is far can still be restored. Anybody who feels like they betrayed the Lord can still be restored. Anybody who feels like they ran and they sinned and anybody who feels like they're too far away can still be restored. You can see Peter standing in front of them saying, I know, I know, because Jesus loves me. I don't know how far you are today, but listen to me. Jesus loves you more than you could possibly imagine. He loves you. And there's nothing in this world that can separate you from that love. There's no person that's beyond his reach. There's no problem that he can't solve. There's no addiction that he can't break. There's no one beyond his touch. But you have to come to a place in your heart where you accept that your spiritual journey is not based on your own efforts. It's not based on your own works. It's based on what Jesus has done for us. It's based on what he has done for us, but your life will only change when you settle in your heart that Jesus loves me. Would you bow your heads with me right now, wherever you are? I just want you to know that that's what Christianity is all about. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Mercy, so we don't have to pay the price for our own sins. Mercy that Jesus went to the cross to pay it once and for all. Grace that he now empowers us to live the life that he's called us to live. So no matter where you are in your journey of faith today, I want you to know that God loves you, that his promise is for you. No matter how far off you are, that his promise is for you. Because the truth is all of us need his mercy and his grace. All of us have fallen short. Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the mercy and the grace of God. We have fallen short of his grace. All of us have fallen short and all of us need that. And maybe this is your day. And maybe on your spiritual journey up until now, it's all been about your own effort, about your own works. And maybe you've been trying so hard and you can't make any headway. I want you to know that today is for you. And maybe your eyes have been on everybody else keeping score. I want you to deny that today is for you. Today, Jesus wants to save you. 
And maybe you're sitting there and on the surface, people would call you a Christian. And you've done all the right things, but in your heart, you've never accepted that Jesus loves you. And maybe you've even preached that to other people, but you've never accepted it in your own heart. You feel like you're too far gone, that you've disqualified yourself. Maybe it's all been about your own effort, about how hard you try. And if that's true, chances are your relationship with God has been riddled with insecurity and inconsistency. But I want you to know today that God loves you. Maybe you're far from God because it's what you saw in everybody else. You saw that insecurity, that inconsistency, and you want nothing to do with it. And so you push God away and everyone else. Today, the invitation that Jesus gives you is not about following a set of rules. It's not about a religion. It's not about joining a church. It's about having a relationship with him. And I want you to know today that Jesus calls you. And Jesus wants you. He wants you. So here's what we're going to do. I want to pray a prayer with you wherever you are. I want to give you the words to a prayer. That you can commit your life to him. Like I said, it's not about joining a church. It's not about joining a religion. It's about forming a relationship with your Savior. So I want to give you those words today. But you have to pray them and you have to mean them in your own heart. So if that's you today, if you say, today is my day. Today's the day I come back. Today's the day I commit my life. If that's you, I just want to pray with you right now, wherever you are listening, whether it's on the app or online, wherever you are, you can pray this prayer. Just say these words. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me of all of my sins, of all my mistakes. I surrender to you. I make you the Lord of my life. Whisper those words to heaven. I make you the Lord of my life. I accept your sacrifice on the cross. Now help me to live for you. In Jesus' name. God, I pray that our church would get this revelation today. Lord, that we would end this service with the confidence and the security and knowing that you love us. And knowing that that love is unconditional. In knowing that you want us. And in knowing that you still call us. God, I thank you today that we can still be available in spite of our failures. God, I thank you that we can be available in spite of our shortcomings and our sins. God, we thank you that you can use broken people, that your forgiveness is new, God, that you can raise us up again. Father, I thank you that in this life, the love of Jesus Christ is free and willing to those who are hurting. God, I pray that you would give us every opportunity to see, make us spiritually perceptive to see the move of God in our lives. Bring us back. Let us see your hand. Let us be, Father, just acknowledge the moments that you still are creating, the divine appointments, Father, in our lives. That you are still using us, still moving through us. And God, one more time, we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. It's in him's precious name. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's church said amen and amen.